Matthew chapter 24 is where we're going to look. We'll begin reading together at verse 32. Let's read God's word together. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But at that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, Father, open our hearts, I pray, that we may hear and receive your word. Help us to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches. I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, and particularly for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will draw them back so that not one of them is lost. And Lord, I pray especially for this service, if there is someone here, someone who is part of this service, either in-house or online, who has not yet surrendered their life to follow Jesus, I pray that before this day is over, you will grip their heart so strongly that they will not be able to resist the invitation of your spirit, and they will surrender their heart to follow you. I thank you for hearing our prayer. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most blessed truths of the church is that Jesus is coming again. Just as surely as he came the first time, he's coming a second time. Right on the heels of that proclamation, I have to acknowledge that there's a great deal of misinformation and confusion surrounding this truth. You know, there were a lot of people who missed the glories of his first coming because they didn't believe the Word of God and weren't prepared for his arrival. Sadly, many will miss his second coming for the same reason. Jesus is coming back to this earth just as literally as he came the first time. But the message of the Bible is that his second coming will be markedly different from his first coming. See, the first time he came, there was no room for him in the inn. The next time he comes, he's coming to inherit the world. 
The first time he came, he came to a crucifixion. The next time he comes, he's coming to a coronation. The first time, he came to die on a tree. The next time, he's coming to sit on a throne. The first time, he stood before Pilate to be judged. The next time, Pilate will stand before him to be judged. The first time, he came in shame. The next time, he's coming in splendor. The first time, he came to redeem. The next time, he's coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time, he came as a humble servant. The next time, he'll be the holy sovereign. I tell you, the second coming of Jesus is mentioned some 1,200 times in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, there are over 300 direct prophecies that deal with this event. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming again. Now, an honest reading of God's word will reveal the what. That is, it will reveal the promise of his coming. But the questions arise and the confusion comes when you start trying to determine the when. Matthew chapters 24 and 25 give some of the most comprehensive teaching from Jesus about when to expect his return to this earth. In the verses from Matthew 24 that form the text for the message today, Jesus himself gives some clues about the timing of his return. And in this message, I want to focus on this one short section here, right in the middle of what we know as his Olivet Discourse. Now, there is nowhere in the Bible that gives a specific date or time for the return of Jesus. I told you last week that if you hear someone trying to set a date or a time for the return of Jesus, regardless of how many charts and graphs they have, regardless of how many degrees they have behind their name, regardless of how energetic their delivery or how charismatic their personality, if they are setting a date and a time for the return of the Lord, ignore them. Just dismiss them and go on your merry way. Jesus said in verse 36 of the text, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. While it is impossible to know the day or the hour, the Bible says that you can know the season in which to expect the Lord's return. That's what Jesus was saying in verses 32 and 33 when he said, learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, in other words, in the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. And then Jesus says in verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. According to these verses, you need to pay attention to the natural world and learn something from it. When you see the fig tree starting to bud, that's how you know summertime is right around the corner. In the same way, 
when you see the things Jesus is telling you about, when you see those things begin to happen, that's how you will know that his return is at hand. The generation that sees these signs that identify the season of his return, that's the generation that's going to witness his return. So, if you want to know if you are in the season of the return of the Lord, then you have to look at the signs of the season. You have to look at the things Jesus said would be the markers to indicate you are in the season in which to expect his return. In verses 37 through 39, Jesus identifies one of the markers to look for in determining whether this is the season in which to expect his return. He says, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Once you know something about what it was like in the days of Noah, then you'll know what it's going to be like in the days leading up to the return of Jesus. Now, thankfully, we don't have to guess about what the days of Noah were like. Jesus gives a brief synopsis, a synopsis of what they were like, and the Bible gives us a record of the days of Noah in the book of Genesis chapter 6. When you, when you learn about the days of Noah, you discover that there were two major problems in the world at that time. And when you think about it, you will realize that these are problems that plague our present world as well. The first problem was indifference. Jesus said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. That, that's indifference. In other words, the people in Noah's day were just living life with no thought of God, no thought of eternity. I mean, they were having backyard barbecues. They were tailgating at the football game. They were picnicking at the lake. They were going to parties. They were just enjoying life without a care in the world. Indifference. Well, with all the problems that exist in our world, with all the suffering on this planet, with all the disasters that strike, too often I've found our response is one of indifference. You know, as long as it doesn't directly touch my life, then it doesn't really matter. Is this on? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just checking, okay. Not only was there indifference, but then Jesus said they did not understand. That's ignorance. Truth never penetrated their hearts. It's kind of like the story I heard about the guy who was doing one of those man-on-the-street interviews. He came to one guy and he asked him, do you know what the two biggest problems in the world are today? The man looked down his nose at him and said, I don't know and I don't care. The interviewer replied, that's exactly right. The two biggest problems, I don't know, and I don't care. With all the resources we have at our disposal today, with all the access to knowledge we have at the touch of a button, this world remains ignorant concerning the things of God and the things that affect their eternal destiny. Jesus said that you would know the season in which he would return because it would be like it was in the days of Noah. And already we see these two main issues of ignorance and indifference. But when you look at the story of Noah, you find some other pieces of the puzzle that are coming together at this time in history, and they are indicators that the return of the Lord is very near. 
Now, there's a lot of them, but today I want to limit myself and show you five signs that are coming together at this point in history to suggest that we are truly living in days like the days of Noah. Now, I'm looking at the time, and I realize we've had a lot of extra stuff going on, and so my time is limited today. So what that means is you're going to have to listen in a hurry, and I don't have time to repeat anything, so if you're going to shout, you have to shout the first time. Okay, so here we go. First, there is the breakout of secular philosophy. Take your Bible and turn to Genesis 6. And look at verse 5 of Genesis 6. Or if you don't have it there, we'll put it up on the screen. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When the Bible talks about every evil, every intent of the thoughts of his heart, that, that's imaginations. That comes from a word which at its root means to fashion as a potter. In the days of Noah, men fashioned wicked philosophies and espoused filthy causes. They made vile sins fashionable, and they endeavored to pour society into their mold. They were substituting the mind of man for the word of God. They were molding society to their form. And I, I just submit to you that's an apt description of the day in which we live see in our day people don't even argue about what's right and what's wrong because everybody's right and everybody's wrong because we're all supposed to create our own truth we live in a day in which universities that were founded as seminaries have become bastions of atheism we live in a day in which pulpits that once resounded with the truth of God's word are no longer holding to the faith. They're teaching strange doctrines. They deny the Bible. They scoff at the blood atonement. They don't even recognize the lordship of Jesus. We live in a day in which secularism has taken over. It's taken over the arts, the sciences, philosophy, and education. A Bible-believing follower of Jesus is the whipping boy of modern society. See, in our world, you can be bigoted against a Bible-believing follower of Jesus and be considered politically correct. There's a breakout of secular philosophy. Second, we're living in a day like the days of Noah in which there is a breakthrough in scientific progress. If you, don't, if you, if you think that the people who were alive in the days of Noah were knuckle-dragging cavemen, you need to rethink your assumptions. Don't think they were some backwater, ignorant men. Check out Genesis 4, 17. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Check out verse 22 of that same chapter. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Now, people in the days of Noah were in urban metropolitan areas teeming with life. There was an industrial revolution going on in that chapter of Genesis. They were masters of metallurgy. They were making tools and machinery. Think about Noah building the ark. That ark was an engineering marvel. It was some 450 feet long. That's as long as one and a half football fields. It was 150 feet wide. It was 45 feet, three stories 
tall. It was built to the same size and proportion of many modern ocean-going vessels. <clears throat> that boat had to be built with engineering strong enough to accommodate all those animals, plus it had to withstand the greatest storm history has ever recorded. I don't, have to, I don't think I have to tell you that we live in an age of technological advances and scientific progress. So rapidly is knowledge increasing that the latest and greatest you acquire today is obsolete tomorrow. Things that were science fiction and fantasy only a few short years ago. Anybody remember Buck Rogers? Okay, how about the Jetsons? <laughs> Ah, now my people. <laughs> Stuff we used to just dream about on that. You know, they're now commonplace items without which no household seems to be able to function. It seems like every day we hear about some new breakthrough in medicine or transportation or communication. There's an explosion of scientific progress in our world. A breakout of secular philosophy, a breakthrough in scientific progress. Then third, we're living in a day like the days of Noah in which there is the breakup of the social fabric. Genesis 6.11 says, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. It won't come as any great revelation for me to tell you that we live in a violent age. There's violence on a global scale with one nation at war with another and constant threats of invasion and someone pushing the wrong buttons and triggering a nuclear holocaust. There's violence on a local level. Hardly a day goes by, but what the newscasts are filled with reports of murder and rape and abuse. There are riots in the streets where protesting thugs loot and burn the very businesses that are trying to help the impoverished communities the most. There are mass shootings in schools. There are random drive-by murders. There are horrendous, unspeakable atrocities being visited upon helpless victims. We spend millions of dollars every year on security and yet feel unsafe. We're afraid to walk in our own neighborhoods. We've turned criminals loose on the streets because of overcrowding in our prisons. And now we have law-abiding citizens locked up in their houses while the lawbreakers roam the streets. This is an age of violence for anyone who decides to be a follower of Jesus. See, those who keep track of such things tell us that more people have given their lives for the faith in our generation than in all of the centuries and all of the generations from the time of Jesus up to this present generation. I'm talking about parallels between our modern world and the days of Noah. A breakout of secular philosophy, a breakthrough in scientific progress, a breakup of social fabric. Fourth, we're living in a day like the days of Noah in which there is a breakdown of sexual morals. In the days of Noah, they were living in the midst of a sexual revolution. When Jesus says they were marrying and giving in marriage, he isn't talking about a young couple falling in love and having a wedding. It speaks of many people having more than one marriage, a multiplicity of marriages. 
Polygamy is introduced into society in Genesis 4.19 when Lamech took to himself two wives. In chapter 6, verse 2, there is a verse that continues to confuse Bible expositors. It says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Now, when you read that, you know, it's just kind of, who, who are these people they're talking about? Some see the sons of God as fallen angels that somehow cohabitated with the daughters of men and produced a race of monsters known as the Nephilim. Others say the sons of God were the godly line of Seth and the daughters of men were the ungodly line of Cain. And there doesn't seem to be any real agreement on the exact identity of these sons of gods and daughters of men. But what is certain is that it was a joining together of what God had separated and it was a separating of what God had joined together. It was a day of sexual immorality and sexual abnormality. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 26 through 30, Jesus linked the days of Noah with the days of Lot and with the events that surrounded the destruction of Sodom. One of the things we know about the city of Sodom is that it was known for its sexual perversion. The people flaunted their sins in Noah's day. They flaunted their sexual sins in Lot's day. They were men of renown. They were proud of their wicked, vile imaginations. They, looked, they took the beautiful God-given gift of sex and intimacy that was designed to be enjoyed by one man and one woman in the sacred covenant of marriage, and they distorted it and twisted it and corrupted it and profaned it and then tried to justify their being behavior and develop a new philosophy into which they squeeze the rest of society to make their abominable practices acceptable. Am I talking about anything that sounds familiar? They demanded acceptance of their deviance. They demanded not only acceptance, but approval. Here's the way Romans 1, 22 through 27 describes what was happening in that day. It's also an indictment against what is happening in our day as well. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Oh, don't I wish I could just stop and preach right there on that one sentence for a long time. I, we, can't, we can't stop the clock, though. we got to keep moving. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Watch this. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural, the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, before anybody wants to send me a, a scathing email, you just recognize I'm just reading the Word of God to you. Amen. 
What we are witnessing in our day is the same breakdown of sexual morals. What should be reserved for the privacy of the bedroom is routinely paraded on the airwaves and in the streets. What should be sacred and holy has become common and unclean. <laughs> this, is, this is a day of trial marriages. You know, and if this one doesn't work out, well, it's okay, because we'll just get a no-fault divorce and find somebody else, and we'll try it again. This is a day of recreational sex, sex with no expectations and no strings attached. And we're told, it's just sex. This is a day where it's considered strange if two people have more than a couple of dates without ending up in bed together. This is a day where it's become common for two people to simply move in together as a natural prelude to getting married or maybe not getting married, just living together. This is a day where the government has decided to impose its will and define marriage in a manner that is contrary to God's word on the matter, and it's being couched in the language of civil rights. This is a day where confusion reigns to the point where we don't know which pronouns to use in referring to somebody. We can't even give you the definition of what a woman is. Y'all not used to this kind of preaching. Y'all don't even want to hear this. Modern culture has developed philosophies to make any behavior acceptable to society. It has devised arguments and rationalizations to propagate the vain imaginations of our sinful hearts. It has recruited the intelligentsia and the glitterati of our day to promote a godless agenda. It seeks to silence and cancel any voice that dares to raise an objection. You know, this is, a, this is the craziest day in which we live. This is a day when a boy can't pretend to be an Indian, but a grown man can pretend to be a woman. say, let God be true and every man a liar. Call it whatever you will. Justify it however you wish. But God still calls it fornication and adultery and homosexuality and immorality and he still says it's sin. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, because the proper response of the people of God to this kind of preaching right now ought not to be shouts of approval and applause because the preacher makes these kind of statements from the pulpit. Instead, it ought to break our hearts because at the end of the day, it isn't about behavior. It's about people, people who are broken, people who are dying without Jesus, people who are in need of a Savior, 
people for whom Jesus gave his life. People who need to know how important they are to the heavenly father. People who are blinded to truth and need the eyes of their understanding open. People who are going to experience the judgment of the almighty unless they are saved. Hear me. Don't ever get so consumed with rebuking sin that you forget to love the people. Now, have I made everybody mad yet? I'm not doing my job well enough then. There's a breakout of secular philosophy. There's a breakthrough in scientific progress, a breakup of social fabric, a breakdown of sexual morals, finally. Aren't you glad we're at the finally? <laughs> we're living in a day like the day of Noah in which we can expect the breaking of sudden judgment. See, things finally reached a point where the Lord said in Genesis 6 and 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. God had been warning them. He had tried to get through to them, but their hearts were too hard. They had, they had eaten of the tree of knowledge. They had their technology. They had their art and their culture and their entertainment. They were rich, increased with goods, had need of nothing in their own eyes. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2 and 5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. See, God never brings judgment without first giving a warning. The entire time Noah was building, Noah was preaching. Noah was proclaiming God's word. You know, Noah, Noah seemed like a crazy fool to the people of that day. Building an ocean liner in the middle of the desert. What's up with that? But when the last feast was completed, when the last animal was on board, the Lord instructed Noah to enter the ark, and the Bible says that God shut the door. Great cracks opened in the earth, and the waters of the deep came spilling out. The rain descended, the waters rose, a flood destroyed the earth, but Noah and his family were safe and secure in the ark. Listen. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, I, I know, some of these things have always existed. Sure they have. But we're living in a day when all of these things are happening at the same time. And there seems to be a convergence of signs. And the signs are getting closer together and more intense just like the Bible describes it, just like a woman in childbirth. The labor pains are growing closer and more intense. You, you, you know, ladies, you know, those of you that have given birth, when that first birth pain hits, you don't know if it's going to be five minutes or five hours or longer. <laughs> right? But then you start timing them. And one gets it. Uh, I remember when, when our kids were born, they said, don't even bother coming to the hospital until they're at least just only like five minutes apart. I don't know what they do today. Thankfully, I don't know what they do today. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Grandkids are wonderful. <laughs> if I'd have known how great they are, we would have had them first. 
But when they, those birth pains, they start, and then as they start getting closer together and they become more intense, you know, we're getting, it's getting close to time. Can I just tell you, there is judgment coming on this earth, and the birth pains that I'm describing, they're, they're, they're getting closer together, and they become more intense. But I also want you to know today that even though judgment is coming, there is an ark of safety provided. Jesus Christ is the ark of safety. Here's the truth of the matter. The church has a mission. But the Bible doesn't teach that we're going to save this world. We're not. Quite the contrary. This world is condemned. This world is going to be judged. We aren't trying to save civilization from wreckage. We're trying to save people from the wreckage of civilization. We're trying to help bring people into the ark of safety, Jesus Christ. That ark that Noah built, that was a picture of Jesus. As the flood waters and the rains beat upon that ark, Noah was safe because he was on the inside. I want to tell you, everybody listening to this message today, whether you're in the house or online, everybody listening to this message today, you're either on the inside or you're on the outside of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) There's nobody standing on the deck. There's nobody on the railing. You're either inside or you're outside. And God has me preaching this message to tell you to come on the inside. Come on in. There's room for you. There's room for you. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, even so we can look around and see that it's that way now. The fig tree has blossomed. The season is at hand. There's a warning being issued about impending judgment. At the same time, you're invited to come into the ark of safety. Come to Jesus and be saved. Bow your heads with me, please. This has just been a very simple message. But I've asked the Holy Spirit to use this to somehow penetrate our hearts. I can't persuade you with my words, but the Holy Spirit can convict your heart. And that's what I'm asking him to do right now. And I just want to know if there's somebody today and you say, Pastor John, I'm not ready. I'm not inside that ark of safety you've been talking about. I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I need to make sure I'm ready to meet Jesus. Some of you need to do that for the very first time. Some of you You did that, it's been a while, but you've just kind of drifted away. You've gone your own path. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But if there's somebody here today and you say, Pastor John, today I'm making the choice. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Whether it's for the first time or whether it's a recommitment of your life to him, I want you to just put your hand up and say, Yes, that's me. I need to do that. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you. Yes, sir. 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I see that. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you. I'm surrendering my heart to Jesus today. The Holy Spirit is dealing with somebody right now. Don't turn him away. Don't ignore him. Don't pass it off and say, well, you know, I think I'll, I'll just wait a little while. I've got time. The Lord's got me preaching this for you today because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to surrender your heart to Jesus. Anybody else? I'm only waiting another couple of moments and then we got to move on. Father, I thank you for these people that have lifted their hands. Some of them are making the decision for the very first time. Some of them are recommitting themselves to you because they just want to be sure. They want to be sure that, that there's nothing between their soul and their Savior. They want to be sure that they're ready for you. So, Father, I ask that you will hear the cry of our heart. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will receive these people. Lord, we're not asking for a sign. We're not even asking for a feeling. We're just making a decision in our heart that we're going to surrender to you. From this day forward, we're going to serve you. We're going to go your way, not our way. Forgive us for those times that we've gone our way. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for those things that we've done that are displeasing to you. But Lord, you've promised that if we would come to you, you would not cast us aside. You've promised that you would welcome us and you'd receive us. So we're coming to you now. We're coming to you in faith. We ask, oh Lord, that you'll forgive us, cleanse us, transform us from the inside. And give us an ability to walk out this decision we're making to follow you today. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.